0: Hi, I'm Zach.
1: And I'm Sally, and you are listening to the final episode of Vernacular.
0: The final episode, Sally?
1: Yeah, it sounds kind of sad. It but does. people might have already thought that we already published the final
0: episode. That's true, because the last one was, I think, in November or maybe even October. It's been a while. Yeah. This is certainly the longest stretch we've had since 2015 of not publishing a podcast on this feed.
1: Yeah. I think just Christmas and traveling and having a baby all right those that's a big things. one we haven't talked about that but yeah. yes
0: we do have another baby so this is number four to our growing family we love him he has arrived and uh he arrived in late january so he is he's pushing three months now and he is he's a little tank he's growing so fast we were talking today about how he's more than doubled his his body weight already it's crazy how fast babies grow and so yeah we've been we've been busy with that We've also been busy with Credal Catholic, which is another podcast under the Vernacular umbrella. That one's going to be maintained and keep going and, in fact, keep growing. It's been really well-received so far, and so we're excited about all of that. But the good news about today is we're not ending our content that you've been listening to on Vernacular. We're really just transitioning it to the Credal umbrella. And so we're going to stop updating this feed. It'll be archived. It'll stay on your podcast players if you want to listen to back episodes, et cetera. But we're going to do future episodes on Creedal. So, a little background on Creedal. Uh, first of all, go subscribe to that wherever you get your podcast. Just C R E E D A L. Uh, depending on when you're subscribing to this, it, you might find that under the umbrella of Creedal Catholic. But, but it's I'm rebranding it to Creedal because rather than just focusing on theology and apologetics as I've done to date, I'm going to start focusing on theology and culture, and that'll give Sally and I an opportunity to discuss all the things that we like to discuss on Vernacular. So, think movies and art and books, and film, Uh, that is is movies, but science, technology, bioethics, uh, all the things that we have really enjoyed talking about on this feed, we're still going to be talking about on that feed, Uh, and the subtitle of Credal is going to be Theology and Culture, because culture necessarily shapes, I'm sorry, theology necessarily shapes culture. A culture is shaped by theological presuppositions what you believe about God and how you believe God about God and how you worship God and how you center your life around your idea of God will necessarily shape culture. And so the intersection of theology and culture is one that is underexplored, underappreciated, and that's what I'm trying to do over on the Credal podcast. So go subscribe to Credal wherever you get your podcasts. Again, C-R-E-E-D-A-L. And again, you may see it as Credal Catholic depending on uh, when you're looking for it. But Credal or Credal Catholic, subscribe to that And follow along for more conversations there.
1: And I think, from our perspective, from the vernacular perspective, there's among many benefits. Two benefits are: one, we don't have the pressure of having to release something on a super regular basis, if if parenting doesn't permit it. And but secondly, we we are no longer um, we no longer have to keep our theology out of our conversations, and we can integrate all of those things. Which I just think makes for a more interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we've talked about this before on this podcast. But Sally and I are both Catholic converts. We've been Catholics since 2015, and the longer we're Catholic, the more it shapes our identities and our perspectives on the world.
1: So the harder it is to separate it out from a conversation about something that relates to culture.
0: Yeah, exactly. You can't. It's 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 really rather a futile futile effort. And uh, I think to pretend otherwise is to be ignorant of this connection between theology and culture that I was talking about. So. Yeah, we're excited to explore more of those ideas there. Um, on Creedal Catholic so far, uh, what will become creedal I've had really good conversations with just fantastic people um, from all walks of life doing all sorts of different things. It's, it's primarily been focused on theology and apologetics to date, but there have been some really good sort of cultural moment conversations, and I hope to have more of those as, as we sort of expand the aperture and talk more about all things theology and culture. So that's the future there uh, and I'm sort of doing a you know website refresh and uh, putting up some merch that you can buy. If you want to sponsor the new Creedle mission, you can follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash creedal C R E E D A L. And so, yeah, we're, we're excited about this, this journey. Uh, so our podcasting is definitely not coming to an end. It's sort of intensifying in a way. Uh, we're just going to shutter this feed and just leave it up uh, as an archive for the future. So Bottom line, enjoy this episode, the last one of this feed. If you go subscribe to Credle, you can follow all of our new content there and check out a, a different backlog of really good episodes there as well. So, it's been a great ride. I'm going to see. I'm um, looking at our at our feed Sally. 151 episodes. This will make 152. And the first one was April 29th, 2015. So, wow. it's been an almost 6-year run.
1: That's a long time.
0: It's been good. It's been fun. You're my, You're my favorite podcasting partner. <laughs> all right. Well, Enjoy this final Read, Watch, Listen on the Vernacular feed. For future Read, Watch, Listens, go subscribe to Credle yeah. wherever you get your podcast.
1: Don't stop listening.
0: Right, Sally. It's another read, watch, Listen, our last one was November 9th, 2020. So it's been...
1: So we kind of skipped winter. Was that fall? Five,
0: more than five months. Yeah. Okay. That was fall. Yes. Yeah. So we skipped winter. Just we, we just hunkered down and practiced <laughs> uh, having a new baby.
1: Yeah. We read a little bit less. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, actually, we, we haven't been reading a lot, but we have we podcasted on this feed a lot less. <laughs> yes, so, that's for sure. Uh, but this is also the first read watch, lesson for the Credle feed. So to our Credal listeners, Sally and I like to get together every quarter. We used to do this on our old vernacular podcast. Now we're doing this on Credal. Every quarter, and talk about recommendations and things we've been reading, watching, and listening.
1: I know that with other podcasts, people when people talk about what they've been reading, or watching, or listening, or all of them, I just love those episodes. So I know that our listeners enjoy them too.
0: Yeah, no, I I love getting ideas on yeah. what to read, and uh, so yeah, I also love or them. what
1: not to read. True, yeah, that's good. <laughs> if too. someone has, if someone can talk about a book that they didn't enjoy, that's helpful as well. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Yeah, I have none of those in that category today, but uh, let's just dive in Sally. So, um, let's do read, watch, listen in that order. So let's start with you. I know you are just a voracious reader. Your reading has slowed a little bit since we've had our fourth, uh, but you've still been reading quite consistently. Every time I, you know, glance over at you on the sofa, when you're nursing him, uh, you're trying to read, trying to yeah, read although it's yeah. sometimes hard to, you know, juggle <laughs> both things almost literally. Uh, but yeah, so tell me what you've been reading.
1: Okay. Going back to December, I finished the year reading little women which was the first time I had read that since I was a child and had it read to me by my grandmother. And it was actually a really fun experience, and it was a perfect time of year to read it. It just felt very cozy and heartwarming and Christmassy. So I recommend it Um, if you haven't read Little Women or haven't read it in a long time. It was a really fun read again. And since uh, the year has begun, another really great book that I read was In This House of Breed, which is about a woman who, in her, she's like middle-aged, and her husband has died, and she had some tragedy tragedy with her son, so she's left alone in a very high-powered career in London, and decides to leave it all to become a nun in a Benedictine monastery in the countryside of England, and it's a fantastic book. It's it was so perfect to read during Lent, um, but you could read it any time of the liturgical year, and you 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 see not only her story which um you are privy to throughout the book but you also learn about the lives and the stories of the other nuns the other sisters or dames as they're called once they are fully confirmed um or installed or whatever the term is and i'll mention that
0: people are hearing some noises sally is holding our little baby (laughs) who decided to wake up
1: right. When we started to record.
0: Yeah. The timing has been great. Yeah. (laughs) So he's, uh, he's joining our, our recommendation of the list here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so in this house of breed, I, that was the second time I read it and it was fantastic. It was even better than the first time. I know I'm going to read it again sometime. Uh, another, and then it's kind of, um, more, I guess, fun mystery books that I've read. One is city of the lost. And that one was a very interesting take on, um, or just an interesting story, I guess. It was about this society that has been formed where people who want to run away from some sort of bad situation or even criminal history are allowed to go and um, leave their previous identities and start a new town together, which has its problems because not everyone is vetted very well. And so there's, becomes this, there's like this rash of crimes, including murders. And so this one woman is um, brought in to help investigate what's going on. And it's a little gruesome, but it was good as far as mysteries go. Another one was The Long Bright River, which um, took place in Philadelphia, which was kind of fun since I've been there. Um, and it's about this woman who's a cop, and her sister is actually on the streets as a prostitute and a drug addict. And so you, it goes back and forth between the present day, where they are interacting. She's investigating a crime. She's looking for her sister who becomes missing. And also you just learn about their their history together, their background their parents their childhood um and and that was really well done as well um I didn't love the ending a ton but I enjoyed most of the book and it was it was worth reading it's such a
0: bummer when the ending just kind of ruins I guess yeah, in this case it, it doesn't is, ruin but I can think in several instances including a sitcom we watched recently like the ending just right I think it's hard to wrap up it things almost sometimes. invalidates everything that comes before it and it's very yeah. frustrating
1: yeah I, I think I think that'd be hard as an author to just bring all these different threads together and then end it well
0: I mean that's why you this is maybe jumping ahead a little bit to our watch recommendations but you could just do what the Coen brothers do and just sort of end it yeah (laughs) people are just like what (laughs) there's no neat bow on the end it just (laughs) sort of ends yeah right right that's it that's that's where we stop
1: yeah exactly um currently I just I'm about a hundred pages into a 900-page novel, Island of the World, by Michael D. O'Brien, and this is my—he's a Catholic author. Fourth Michael D. O'Brien yeah. book, yeah. He's prolific. He's crazy. So how many you've books read he's...
0: Father Elijah, Sophia House, Strangers and Sojourners, and now Island and now of the Island World. of the World,
1: yeah. And uh, it's come highly recommended. It's actually perfect for the year of St. Joseph because the main character's name is Joseph. He is Croatian. And it takes place during World War II. And his life, um, it starts when he's a child. Um, and his life is just kind of torn apart by a lot of the, I don't even fully understand all of the people who are fighting in Croatia. It's because it it's not your typical, like the Nazis come in kind of thing. There's like a lot of different, there's the communists, there's the partisans. I don't really, I haven't, fully been able to track all the different things that are going on, but it definitely rips their life apart and they're very um, Catholic, which is beautiful. And they just have this beautiful faith uh, despite being so impoverished and um, at the the center of a lot of strife. So, so far even a hundred pages in it's, it's a classically beautiful Michael D. O'Brien book. Yeah. O'Brien is such a good storyteller. He is.
0: I want to read more of his things because I've read the Elijah parts of the Elijah trilogy, I guess, but yeah, not other stuff. Yeah um great those are all good recommendations yeah okay so things i've enjoyed reading so the first one is this novel called matterhorn or um called matterhorn named matterhorn it sounded weird when i said it out loud do you call a novel something or do you name a novel something um i think
1: think it's probably (laughs) the way that the british sometimes say you call what are they called oh yeah their name. name so i think either one is fine
0: okay well i should have said a novel titled matterhorn and uh, Matterhorn is, I think, the name of like a peak in the Swiss Alps, but it's the in this book, it's the name of a uh, fire support base in Vietnam. So it's a novel of Vietnam War. It was written in 2010 by a veteran, this guy named Carl Marlantis, who went to Oxford as a Rhodes Scholar after graduating from I think Princeton, and then uh, after Oxford, or maybe even during his time at Oxford, went into the went to, went to Vietnam as a Marine Corps officer, lieutenant. And so the novel is a novel. It's definitely fiction, but he has said. In interviews, that it is basically it's a real novel in the sense that everything, every story in there actually happened, not necessarily to him, but happened in the Vietnam War, and so it's a sort of um, it's a it's a it's a fictional retelling of many true events in the Vietnam War, and it's just a fantastic read. It's riveting in many respects. Um, it has some slow parts, but I think that was also that's also probably apt for a novel about war, like lots of yeah mundane patrolling and drilling, and then very short intense sequences of action. Um, it also has like a two or three page discourse that is one of the best things on race relations that I've read in the past year, which is saying something given that I've read a lot about that in the past year. Um, and so if you read this book or you've read this book, you probably know what, what conversation I'm talking about, but it's just, it's just really good. And I highly recommend the book. It just, it delves into a lot of questions about the nature of being human, about the nature of war, about otherizing the enemy about race because you have white and black soldiers fighting right alongside each other and it, that creates problems, but also opportunities. Um, so that, that was a really good read that and I, awesome. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, another one that I have read recently is called um, fulfillment. And then I think it's win. the subtitle is winning and losing in one click America. And it is by a pro reporter named, I think Alec McGillis and the, the premise, I mean, it's about Amazon in general, but really in general, not in specific because it's not simply a history of the company Amazon. It's really a sort of retelling of this economic transformation that America has undergone over the past 20 years and how it has evaporated jobs and changed life trajectories for millions of people and gotten us the, accustomed to this you know, convenience of one-click America, as he says it and displaced and disrupted urban communities, um, and just caused us to, to rethink the ways that we relate to commerce, and systems of commerce, each other, uh, everything. So it's, it's really, it's, it's exhaustively researched. I listened to it on audiobook while I was commuting back and forth, um, but it was really, really good, and I learned a ton. And I strongly, strongly, strongly dislike Amazon now, <laughs> so much so that as i told you just yesterday sally i've been reconsidering our our prime membership yeah um i
1: mean i would be on board with that
0: it is i mean i'm a pro free market person in general uh, but i recognize that the free market has some limitations and um and does not have all the built-in correctives that it needs for moral functioning and amazon has just taken advantage of all of those opportunities that it can and created Um, opportunities for itself to evade taxes and to get tons of tax credits from the municipalities in which it operates. And it's just, it's just a disaster. Um, And it's displaced lots of people from work or paid them, you know, half of what they were making in their previous job in the retail job that Amazon displaced, et cetera. So it was a really sobering um, but important story narrative of American life in the past 20 years. And I highly recommend that. So that's Fulfillment by Alec McGillis.
1: I think not to mention, I don't even know if the book mentions this, but that uh, you could also just tie that into how it's affect people's buying habits and materialism.
0: Totally. He doesn't go into that too much, but it's certainly a subtext. It's another
1: reason to not necessarily have. Yeah. Membership.
0: Well, I mean, it's so true that you get so used to like, oh, we can just buy it now. I mean, I I don't know if Amazon still does those, but remember those little like dash buttons? Like if you, you could like put a little button by your toilet paper in your house right? and when you run out, you just like tap the button and it automatically orders it for I mean, It's just, it's totally ridiculous how, how frictionless Amazon has tried to make consumerism and maybe consumerism just needs a little bit of friction. right? Like maybe, maybe that friction is actually a good thing to have uh, when we're making, Consumer decisions. So, anyway, the the final one I've read, and the one to which I would give my most hearty recommendation, is called is titled, excuse me, <laughs> a time <laughs> a time to die, uh, monks on the threshold of eternal life. So this is a a, a book by a Catholic author named Nicolas Diat. He is a friend and confidant of Robert Cardinal Sarah, who. Um, was a high-ranking vatican official until very recently he's a personal hero of both mine and sally's
1: yeah i think i've mentioned his books before on yeah, vernacular
0: um the power of silence god or nothing uh, which is actually right here on this desk i'm about to start this book actually god or nothing you you read this last year sally or a couple years ago
1: yeah so good incredible um, i mean it just tells his life story which is amazing and
0: and god or nothing is basically an interview uh, with Nicholas Diot or a conversation with Nicholas Diot. So, so is power
1: of silence, so are all of his yeah.
0: books. And so Diot is the author. French journalist? Yeah, he's a French journalist. He's, But he's the author of this book, A Time to Die. And uh, the book is a really good examination of death and more specifically death through the lens of these monks who are preparing to die. And as several of the monks say, like, our entire monastic life is actually one giant preparation for death. Like we are, we are, or we have oriented our entire lives toward death. And so when death comes, most of us don't actually dread it. Sally, at Family Prayers tonight, you and I just sang a song, you know, that I may fear the grave as little as my bed. And that is how these monks look at it. Now, that's not to say that all of them feel that way, like at the moment of their death or as their death approaches. Some of them certainly sure. do have more anxiety and things like that. Um, but nonetheless, it was a beautiful exploration of exactly how they look at death. And why they look at death as um, not simply the end, but um, you know, the end of our earthly, our mortal coil here, uh, and the beginning of life anew um, with God. And it was a really good reflection of that, and one that we don't think about, you know, probably because we're too caught up in our sort of Amazon mindset to link this to the previous book. One that we don't think about enough. But the monks are not Amazon Prime members. <laughs> They're not like prisons of our. Uh, modern society in the same way that we are. So they think about these things in unique and different ways. And there are a lot of wonderful stories in here about monks who die totally in the peace of Christ and their countenances are visibly enlightened. Their visages are smiling when they die, et cetera. Uh, And this was an especially, um, an especially potent book having, you know, watched my mom pass away from cancer last year. Uh, and this was a gift for Christmas, I think from you, right? Sally? so, Mm -hmm. I, mean, I know it's from you. I was just thinking it was for Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those are my three re- three recommendations for things to read. So that covers the read, Sally. Now we're on to watch. So what do you have to watch?
1: Okay, so everything that I've watched, you've watched. So we That's should true. just make it a joint discussion. All right. Well, yeah, we talked about this beforehand. We start about with TV or movies. Well,
0: let's do like the let's do the TV ones first, and then we'll talk about movies.
1: Okay. So the two shows. I think just the two shows that we've watched recently. Most consistently, yeah. Yeah, that we have just really enjoyed and completed the seasons of. You know, there's some that we try something and it wasn't good. Yeah, give
0: it a few episodes, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but the two that we finished the seasons and are just waiting so excited for the next ones to come out are Lupin and Ted Lasso.
0: I'm chuckling at Sally because we had this like inside joke with uh, between me, Sally, and Sally's sister, Elena, who's been on the podcast before uh about the pronunciation of lupin because yes and
1: we also talked to my sister who speaks french who's been on right. vernacular before yep, laura and so she pronounces it the best but apparently lupin. amazon prime lupin. or netflix or our 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 like roku remote thinks that elena our sis- sister who's been on the show as well pronounces it the best i was
0: trying to get it to say to, to pull it up <laughs> because like we have it's, it's, it's a chromecast right and so you like hold the mic down and talk to it. And I was like, play Lupin. And it had no idea what I was. Well,
1: And then you tried Lupin, Lupin. thinking that that would be the like Americanized. Maybe, yeah, maybe and,
0: exactly. Maybe that, and would that work. didn't work.
1: Did and then whatever Elena said that worked. Yeah.
0: So? so, but yeah, Lupin, I guess is the closest I can get to it. But L-U-P-I-N it's a fantastic TV show, I think four episodes long. It is French, it's set long. in
1: France, it is all French actors, it has subtitles, um, which for us is not a barrier, but for some it may be. I mean, I,
0: I feel very cultured watching a foreign language film with subtitles, <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm all about it.
1: We often put subtitles on anyways, because our heater is really loud. It's true. So we um, often can't hear it otherwise, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> without so like true. waking up our kids. So anyways, this is a heist movie, or heist TV show, and it's about- But not
0: like, a, not like in the way you'd think, it's not about like a single heist.
1: Right. Or a group of people who are doing the heist. It's like one guy who is a
0: thief. But he's trying to solve a mystery while he's doing these heists. Right. And I mean, there are certainly, um, yeah, there, there, there are, he's a morally complicated man, I guess I should say. Because on the one hand, he's a thief and he steals things from people. On the other hand, He's trying to solve a mystery that will ultimately vindicate who he believes is an innocent man. Yes. Um. And so, yeah, it's it's really good. It's really well acted.
1: Um. Yeah. You and- see these flashback scenes to his relationship with his father, mm-hmm. and then also present day his relationship with his um, ex-wife or estranged wife and, and son. son. And you're just really rooting for them to get back together, yeah. which I love. I think it'll show that. I think it will. Is encourages you to root for them, and and yeah, he's just amazing. He cannot be stopped. He's so clever.
0: Yeah. Omar Sy plays. Um, if I may, I may it's like Sherlock him. Holmes. Usually last name like, is S-Y. The French pronunciation may be like C or something, but it's Omar. I think it's Omar Sy S-Y. Yeah, that sounds um, right. So he plays the lead character. Very, very good.
1: Okay. And then Ted Lasso, which is definitely comedic, um, but it is not cheesy in any way. It is heartwarming. <laughs> it is funny, but it's not cheesy. And well, they don't make fun of- Qualified
0: a little bit. Like, it's a little bit cheesy. Like- there are some, like, his like his personality is, like, a little bit cheesy. Yeah. But, like, in a genuinely heartwarming making f- way. Yeah, we're not
1: making fun of the people. Right.
0: No, definitely not. And this was a recommendation, too, from Sally's sister Elena, actually. And I watched the first episode, and I was like, this is stupid.
1: <laughs> yeah, we watched the pilot, and we weren't sure. But then we thought, we should just give it another another try. Yeah. And because so many people were talking about it.
0: From episode two, I think we were one over. Oh, yeah, and definitely. it's Jason Sudeikis, who has historically played some really, like, goofy roles. But he plays this one. I mean, he's, he's kind of a goofy character in a way, but, like, goofy in a genuine heartwarming way and he knocks it out of the park
1: yeah it's so good i can't wait for the next season to come out
0: okay so that covers it for tv shows our first half of watch second half is movies and it's all about the Cohen brothers because we watched two recently one was a serious man we watched a couple months ago basically a modern day retelling of the book of job
1: retelling loosely
0: probably Very, i mean yeah that's true yeah that's, i should quote because when i, I first It is loosely inspired by the book of Job. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then the second is No Country for Old Men, which is based on the book by Cormac McCarthy of the same name. Um, And I guess we'll just take each of those in turn, Sally. So A Serious Man, what did you think of that one?
1: Yeah, I I appreciated it more than I would have if I hadn't recently read Job, because we had just read Job, which was pretty cool. And then I appreciated it even more Watching a couple commentaries on it to help me process it.
0: And by the way, when we say Job, we're talking about the, the scriptural book of Job. So it's about this you know guy who um, is a righteous, upright man who loves God and then has all of these calamities befall him. And,
1: and yet he never turns away from God. Right. Yeah,
0: he asks why. He wonders why he fails to understand why, uh, but, he, but he does not. He does not um, curse God as the devil wants him to. Um, and so in this, in this movie, basically a similar thing happens to a,
1: um, a guy who's not a bad man, but he's also not much to speak of. Otherwise he, he, yeah, he's a professor, he has a family, but it doesn't seem like life was that great for him before all these things started to befall him, but definitely his life goes down the tubes yeah. throughout the whole movie.
0: Yeah. And the movie ends very abruptly as we <laughs> talked about with, uh, the Coen brothers earlier. Um, and basically like this guy's son is at school and is, I think, locked out of the gymnasium or something with Well, no, his they had to go right? out
1: because there's a hurricane.
0: Oh, a tornado. Yeah. Yeah. Tornado. Yeah. They had to leave like evacuation, but I think it wasn't like where they were trying to go. The gymnasium or something wasn't locked. The teacher was trying to get in. I oh forget. yeah. That's possible. But, but then there's this tornado that they actually see bearing down on them and, uh, the movie
1: ends there and this music starts to play.
0: Yeah. And the music is.
1: Uh, you just got to find somebody to love.
0: Yeah, you got to find somebody to love. Um, and Which so,
1: we, thanks to a commentary. Yeah,
0: because we watched a couple of YouTube commentaries on this movie after the fact, and one of the commentaries pointed out.
1: Yeah, that that song is like the voice of God speaking out of the storm. The which, whirlwind. The whirlwind, which yeah. happens in Job. Yeah. And Job doesn't end there. The movie ends there with... Right. With this, you just got to find somebody to love. But Job ends with there's more dialogue between God and Job, and, and so this Job <laughs> understands what God is saying, and then you know he comes around, and God, yeah, there is a lot more positive ending.
0: So a serious man is like the secular retelling the secular humanist retelling of the Book of Job, which is not to say that there's nothing there. I mean, there, but there's not God there, right? Right. So like, God is conspicuously absent from. The movie, A Serious Man. Right. There's like one unexplained miracle, uh. So, you know, that's the 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 yeah, and there's know, the teeth incident. Three rabbis who and are the, supposed
1: to be the three friends of Job.
0: But the but even with the three rabbi, it's not clear that any of them really have an animating faith in God. Right. They get, right. they dispense you know rather sort of like oh, two of them dispense rather like mundane advice and the third just refuses to dispense any advice at all.
1: Right. And when uh, there's there, his son goes through his bat mitzvah, it's just very meaningless. Yeah. And depressing.
0: And well, and the son doesn't even know actually
1: what Anything he's saying. Anything Like, yes. like
0: he, yeah. So that was interesting as well. He memorizes the words, but has no idea how to read them and certainly no idea what they mean because he doesn't understand them. Um, so yeah, that, that was a really interesting movie though. um, and again, we we watched a couple of commentaries that sort of helped to shine more light on shed more light on what was going on there. So that was that was interesting. And then the second, No Country for Old Men, a little bit different because they're working off of more modern piece of literature, obviously with No Country for Old Men. But if you haven't read the novel, it's a really good novel. And the hero of the book is this old town sheriff, old time sheriff. Who, I mean, this is this is like a 1970s, 1980s film or book. So, um, it's or at least I should say it's set in that time period. It wasn't written then, but it's set in that time period. And this sheriff just like he's not with the times. He's like a man from a previous time. And so he's just a good old fashioned Texas lawman. Basically.
1: It's like the good guys fight the bad guys and the good guys win. Right. And the good guys are the law enforcement and the bad guys are whatever.
0: Or like maybe the bad guys win right in his view sometimes, but there's like some sort of logic that dictates what the bad guys do. And in no country for old men, there's a bag of money because that's like a great foil for the Coen brothers, or, you know, in in this case for the movie. There's a bag of money and there's a dispute over the money and there's a hitman who's going after the people who went after the money. The hitman's not actually particularly interested in the money. He's really after the people. And he's after other people as well with this just complete senselessness. There's no logic undergirding his actions and who he lives and lets die. Yeah,
1: several times he just flips a coin.
0: Yeah, exactly. And now that, that's, like, that's like perfectly emblematic of the type of senselessness that animates this character and so this character is someone who the sheriff just simply does not understand
1: but really he reads from a newspaper about another crime and it seems like he just doesn't really understand crime these days right
0: yeah i think he's just sort of depressed by the whole by by the the seeming senselessness stuff at all and nobody better encapsulates that than this you know russian hit i mean he has a russian sounding name so i assume he's russian but this hitman um i think what's his name like uh Anton chigger or something yeah um and so yeah at the end of the movie the sheriff just ends up like resigning just walking away from the whole thing because he can't make sense of it and there's something rather depressing about that ending
1: even. yeah well I mean the title kind of helps I guess frame it because there's no longer a country for old men for men who have this sense of right and wrong that a morality that's kind of clear and and so there's just no place for them anymore. Him, his father, his friend that he talks to at the end. There's just there. They have outlived their usefulness, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I think the movie's interesting because it's telling a very specific story about a sheriff who doesn't understand why bad people do the bad things that they do. But I think more broadly, like it can apply to any time we have a a you know tectonic shift in our understanding of morality and what happens so so i think even today like you could say that we that this is no country for old men <laughs> old men being a term to describe people who are you know people of faith right we've talked about before on the creedal podcast like um this this uh, saying that ours is not an age of faith from Benedict the 16th um ours is not an age of faith and so for people of faith this is really no country for us
1: that makes me think of the conversation that the sheriff has with his old friend who's in a wheelchair and he said how he kind of like tried God or he talked to God and God never responded, something like that. And yet still there's no country for him because he has this morality that I don't know where it comes from. Mm. But, um, uh, yeah. So it, it's kind of your example is like a, a step up from that or a step down, I guess, where now the people who not only is there no sense of right and wrong, but, but uh, those of us who have some sort of faith, there we're lost as well.
0: Yeah, it makes me wonder if, um, you know, because like we said, in, in The Serious Man, the Cohen Brothers' Jewish faith, or at least Jewish upbringing, is very evident. But it, it also, I mean, if I were a guessing man, and I don't know either of them personally, so I can't say it for sure, if I'm a guessing person, I would say they don't have a personal animating faith uh, in God, even if they once did. But those underpinnings are there. And so it makes me wonder if um, No Country for Old Men is kind of a a, a cri de Corps in a way of people like the Cohen brothers and perhaps even the Cohen brothers themselves who have the, the Judeo-Christian underpinnings of a personal faith. Um, but those underpinnings are are now like unmoored and detached from any any sort of personal belief. And so they find themselves like the sheriff saying i I talked to god but i but he didn't talk back and yet i find myself totally out of step with the way things are now
1: yeah i think yeah i think that they seem to be saying that that was that kind of faith those kinds of beliefs were for a time that we've just entirely left behind right and not necessarily a good thing different now yeah for sure yeah not necessarily a good thing for sure
0: so I, i would definitely recommend both of those films i mean there's a lot to chew on like i think i need to watch them both again several times to to fully get what the Cohen brothers are saying because they're, they're, they're rich. Uh, and, you know, like a tapestry, if you look at a tapestry up close, you can't necessarily, necessarily see the whole picture. And I think sometimes you can kind of miss the forest of the trees through Cohen brothers um, films. So I definitely want to see them again, but I would say if you haven't seen them, definitely check them out. Uh, no country for old men is a more popular one because it was um, a more successful release um, box office numbers speaking, but a serious man, I think was just as compelling. Oh, for sure. Um, all right, so that covers read and watch, Sally. Now let's do listen. What have you been listening to?
1: So I, um, my listening has definitely gone down in the past few months, but the the main podcast that I'm listening to is actually the Bible in the Year podcast by Father Mike Schmitz. And while most mornings we read the the passages together, I do end up listening to the podcast at the beginning and the end to get his commentary, which I find very helpful, and uh, if I finish that and still have time to listen to a podcast, then I usually choose God'splaining, um, which I've talked about so many times. They always, ha- they actually um, are doing a film series now where they talk about filmmakers. I think they've only talked about Christopher Nolan and the most recent one is Wes, Wes Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. So, but that's pretty cool. Maybe they'll talk about the Coen brothers. That'd be, that'd be very appropriate. And, those are the main podcasts that I've been listening to. I always try to listen to Creedle, so I'm always up to date with that. Thank you. Thank you very much for your support. <laughs> um, I uh, currently, or I just just today finished an episode of, uh, uh, wait, What God is... What, what God is Not, yeah. Yeah, What God is Not. Sorry, I always forget the title, um, which is about uh, the second Sunday of Easter and St. Thomas and his doubt and then his faith. And it was just a great discussion on why we value St. Thomas and why he is actually really important for our faith and why we shouldn't just discard him because he said, I need to see Jesus's scars.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you took one of mine there with the what God is not. Love the Oh, podcast. sorry. <laughs> uh, they do a really good job. And, um, it's called what God is not because of the Eastern emphasis on apophatic theology. Um, talking about, God's attributes by talking about what God is not is the essence of apophatic theology, and it's been an emphasis in the Eastern Church as compared to the Western Latin Rite Catholic Church, and so those two are both Eastern Catholics. Um, I think they're both Ruthenian Catholics, um, but I could be wrong. They're certainly in communion with the Holy See, but, but they're in the Byzantine Rite, and specifically, I think, the Ruthenian Church. So um, that's a really good podcast and uh, I like your mention of the Thomas stuff. I haven't actually listened to the Thomas episode yet.
1: Yeah, I just finished it today. It's so good.
0: Sally and I love St. Thomas. He of all the apostles is the one who, far, who traveled the farthest to spread the gospel. Um, he is believed to have traveled to the reaches of India where uh, even today the St. Thomas Christians claim St. Thomas as their heritage. Um, and also we just read this passage in John where uh, Jesus is going back to... Um, To Bethany to raise up Lazarus from the dead and the disciples know that Jesus is going to be at risk there because it's close to Jerusalem right and the last time he was there people wanted to kill him so you know some of them didn't want to go but Jesus is going to go anyway and Thomas good old Thomas the one who's you know unfortunately frequently remembered as just doubting Thomas Thomas is the one who says let us also go with him that we may die with him And so we see in Thomas, Sally and I, uh, and we're obviously not alone in this, but like for the past several years, we've seen in Thomas, this guy who's so fervently on fire with love for Jesus that he is willing to go and die with Jesus. And so seen in that light, Thomas's refusal to believe unless he himself puts his fingers in the hands of Jesus and into the holes in his hole in his side, um, seen in that light, we can now understand that St. Thomas is probably just absolutely wrecked by the death of Jesus and doesn't want to cling to any false hope or fall victim to some delusional fellow disciple who's saying, no, he really is alive. I think I saw him. So Thomas says, you know, I, I really want to believe, but I'm not going to unless I see for myself. And I, I see in that claim myself, really. I mean, I think that's how I would be, um, you know, as someone who tends to value evidence and, and things. I think that's something I would definitely say. But then the beautiful thing is, of course, Thomas Um, Falls down and cries, My Lord and my God. And on Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, what the Eastern Catholics call Thomas Sunday, um, we hear that passage read in Scripture. And so Thomas becomes um, the first apostle to fall down and worship um, the risen Christ. So uh, seen in that way, it's a pretty great, great story, pretty great namesake for uh, one of our sons. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: and sister Natalia, she goes into a lot of other aspects to this that I could reiterate, but you should just listen to the episode. But one p- thing that she points out is that we, our faith grows more from hearing the story about St. Thomas than he, about the other disciples who believed. Mm, that's like, a good point. The, his lack of belief initially is, it just speaks to us more and does more for our faith than um, than any of the other stories do so we we can just be so thankful for Saint Thomas and his weakness that allowed us to then have that story and have that that sign through the gospels that could add to our own faith
0: yeah I love it um, so I've got a couple lists and recommendations that I can add just real quick here one keeping in uh, keeping in the vein of podcasts that Sally also listens to uh, the pillar which is um, done by J.D. Flynn and Ed Condon, both now who are at The Pillar, uh, a journalistic publication that is focused on reporting about the Catholic Church. They used to be a Catholic news agency. J.D. Flynn was the editor-in-chief there, and now they run The Pillar, and they have this wonderful podcast called The Pillar. You can subscribe to their work on Substack to support them, but you can also get this podcast for free, and it's a great summary of what's going on around the church, and J.D. and Ed are both men of great faith, and I admire them deeply. Hope to get one or both of them on the show actually soon to talk about some things. So, um, you know, maybe stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, while you're waiting to hear from them here, um, subscribe to the pillar and we can talk about um or yeah, you can you can enjoy their stuff there. Uh and then final, um, there's one called the realignment, which is um hosted by uh a guy named Sagar and Jetty and Marshall Kostov, Kostloff, sorry. Um and these guys both really young, really sharp, but they talk about the great realignment happening in American politics now. Um, And as something of a, you know, one time sort of recovering politics junkie, I really appreciate their insights, but it's not just, it's not like about Republicans versus Democrats, which I like, it's really about the like animating movements and shifts in demographics and policy preferences and electorates that have shaped a lot of what we've seen in American public life over the past year and change. So they have some really fascinating conversations with people and that's actually where I heard about this book fulfillment that I talked about because they interviewed the author Alec McGillis um on their show so the realignment is another good um listen recommendation that I have for you and there's also ringer baseball if you're a fanatic baseball fan like me that's always a good one but I'll I'll, I'll stop my recommendations there I think that's all the recommendations we had right Sally
1: yeah I uh I'm, I'm sure I could go on about other things, but those are the, my top recommendations.
0: And we have um, children who need our attention right now uh, who are not staying in the rooms for bedtime, so <laughs> we should sign off. Okay, so that's it for our Read, Watch, Listen recommendations for the spring. Uh, also, I don't know if we said this, but happy Easter.
1: Yes, um, at last, it is Easter.
0: Hallelujah. Christ is risen.
1: He is risen indeed, Hallelujah.
0: So yeah, we've been really enjoying our Easter season. Hopefully you are as well. Thanks for listening to Credle theology and culture. Uh, and hopefully you are enjoying the content. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like. You can email me, Zach at CreedleCatholic.com catholic.com or the new email address is Zach at dot podcast.com. Z A C at credo podcast.com. Sally, thanks for joining me. Looking forward to having you on for more discussions.
1: Thank and you. I hope that can happen.
0: It will happen. Well, you hope it can happen. It <laughs> de- definitely can happen and it certainly will happen. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. And until next time, God bless you. When I'm